and welcome to the Workful Woman podcast. I'm Christina, your host, and my guests are people who operate at the intersection of science and spirituality. It is my great pleasure today to speak with Dr. Janine Kreft. Welcome to the show, Janine. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. I'm so excited to chat with you. Oh, me too. It's so awesome to have you here. So for our listeners, Janine is the owner and founder of Kreft's Couch. She is a holistic, spiritual, and trauma-informed psychologist turned consciousness and business coach with a passion to empower people striving. Janine walks her talk. Upon listening to her intuition, she left the traditional psychology career path for the unknowns of entrepreneurial life. She now blends psychology, energy, and consciousness to guide her clients to move past subconscious blocks, make aligned decisions with ease, and claim their personal potency. I'm really excited to have Janine on today because I have experienced the impact of her work personally. So I first encountered Janine at the end of 2020 through her Instagram account, back when I was not yet open about my spiritual interests and beliefs. Um, So I wanted to step more into that world. I felt there was something there, yet I wanted more than spiritual claims. I wanted some scientific grounding to it. Um, And soon enough, I found Janine on Instagram, a coach with solid training and expertise in psychology, who at the same time was talking about spirituality and things such as following the energy to make the right decisions for you. We started working one-on-one a couple of months later. Fair warning to our listeners, my life has changed quite dramatically since then. Now, some of the most important things that I learned from Janine are how to properly manage my emotions, and what she refers to as energetic sensitivities and energy perception. Um, Actually, Janine, can we start off with that? Um, As in spiritual circles, we often hear the word energy, but we don't always get clarity on what that is. And it is particularly intriguing to see a clinical psychologist use and work with these terms, energy, energetic sensitivities, perceiving energy. What is this all about? Wow, what a... place to like, just start out of the gate, you know, we're just going <laughs> to yeah, go with something huge. Well, energy wasn't even in my world until I actually graduated, got licensed and, you know, was still working in the traditional system. And it wasn't until I was just feeling really stuck with the healing of my patients at the time. And what else is possible? I just was naturally trying to seek what else, you know, could create healing. And so by starting to try a lot of different modalities that incorporated energy, I was like, wait a second, why aren't we talking about this in mental health? Because this is creating so much change for me. So how can I incorporate this with my clients? And really the kind of major things that probably stuck out is I started to get acupuncture. So traditional Chinese medicine, which is all about following the energetics of the body, Um, doing access bars, which I talk about later, but like, you know, other energetic body processes and also consuming content like the documentary heal is coming to mind um, where they're just showing all these alternative treatments that incorporated energy. And I just started to get, wow. Okay. Emotions, you know, aren't really this thing that we've made them out to be. They're actually energy in motion. And then we solidify them in the body by all the stories that we tell ourselves about what we are perceiving and experiencing. And so when we can start to see things as energy flowing quickly throughout the body, we're able to heal and just 
flow with life with so much more ease. And really ultimately energy is our first language. We're just not taught this, right? As babies, we just communicate through kind of energetically perceiving, sensing, knowing what's going, going on in our surroundings until we start to put language to it. Right. And so it's kind of like, even with words, words contain vibrations and energy. So that's, you know, kind of in a nutshell where I was like, okay, we need to look at this. If we're looking at ways to heal physically and mentally. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I, when I started working with you, so I, first of all, you know, I was like, okay, she's a clinical psychologist. She's working with these things, you know, like I, I am intrigued there. There must be something there. I'm sensing something. She's sensing something there, you know, let's explore. Right. And I'm, to me, it was always this matter of, well, where's the evidence? Where's the evidence, right? And you mentioned, you know, the documentary Heal, and, uh, you know, we'll have that in the show notes. And I wanted to ask you, you know, for someone who wants to go a little bit deeper um, into energetic sensitivities, emotion, emotions as energy in motion, perhaps, where yeah. can they go to learn more about that from a scientific lens? Yeah, yeah. So I guess kind of, my process was I started to look at, you know, because I come from a science background, right? Gained a doctorate in psychology. I was trained in how to create, you know, research, how to consume the research and really function from evidence-based treatments. And when those things weren't working as well as I thought they should be, or was told they should be, that's when I was seeking things where people were doing alternative things, but still including the research. So um, one of the first places I landed was, um, Dr. Judith Orloff, which, uh, she wrote the book regarding like the empath survival guide. So that was kind of really incorporating how, you know, folks who have been through a lot of trauma tend to be empathic or really sensitive to the energy subtleties. So like just when someone energetically shifts or changes, it's, it's more than the body language that we're perceiving. It's just the way someone's tone changes or their, you know, communication adjusts slightly. And folks who have been through a lot of trauma tend to perceive this um, with more ease. They just haven't been taught it. So she was someone who did a lot of research about it. So I landed on her. And then I would say also um, Dr. Joe Dispenza has done a lot of research regarding the quantum field and I mean, doing some really amazing work. Um, so, and, and especially I just continue to follow him as he does a lot of research just within his own group. So those are really a good place to start if people are wanting to kind of get their feet wet. Yeah. Awesome. I, I have, I have a couple of things I want to ask you actually about yeah. physics later on, yeah. but let's, let's put that on hold for now, because I think it would be really, um, useful to our listeners also to understand because you've done so many things and you are proficient in so many healing modalities. Um, could you walk us through? So if your professional trajectory were like a book, what would the main chapters be? How would that look like? Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, mm, well, I landed in psychology because of kind of my own struggles. You know, I initially was a professional ballet dancer and I went through a lot of injuries and that's a whole other lifetime in itself. But um, when I left the field, I just really was struggling with a lot of depression and panic attacks, anxiety, hopelessness, eating disordered issues. And so I landed in therapy you know, around the age of 25 or so to kind of figure out what's going on. And it was just so life-changing for me that I was just fascinated with the mind and how people function that that then drew me into psychology. 
And, you know, really through my training, it was very traditional evidence-based research-based training. And, you know, although I worked with a plethora of adult populations, the bulk of my traditional training was with veterans. And so I really did see a lot of complex PTSD, um, trauma, depression, obviously from, you know, folks being in war and then doing a lot of traditional trauma treatments. So that was like a really major uh, foundation for still how I, how I practice and see things today, because it really informed me of where people were at. And then I would say kind of the next really pivotal chapter was just after getting licensed, you know, really seeking, okay, what else is possible? I, I just wasn't drawn to wanting to do the continuing education in the traditional classes. It was just not interesting to me. And so then I started to seek access consciousness, uh, the emotion code, e emotion freedom technique tapping. Um, neuro-linguistic programming, hypnosis, I mean, you name it, I have tried it and done it and probably have some sort of certification in it because I just am so curious about what really creates change. So that was probably a next major chapter was really just training in all those modalities. Um, and then the current one being that I, I leapt to be on my own, um, to be, you know, my own mental wellness and consciousness coach, because I just wanted the freedom mm -hmm. to start to, uh, treat people, work with people in that way and didn't want to be in the constraints of the system. So mm -hmm. that's my current chapter. Yeah, I mean, that, that's an, that's an amazing story. And, you know, you have to see the list of the modalities Janine is proficient and she knows everything across the board. And, you know, I wanted to ask you because you, you have that you have that grounding in clinical psychology and you explored all these modalities. Um, and what I hear is that, you know, you, you felt, you felt constrained within, you know, within, within the classic clinical psychology, let's say at the stage at which it is currently. So I, I do wonder in what ways do you think uh, clinical psychology or psychology as a whole still needs to evolve? What have you learned stepping outside the boundaries of it? Ooh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Quite a bit. I mean, <clears throat> because it was more, also just uh, stepping away from the traditional healing system, even medically as well. I mean, I had a lot of, you know, medical issues and, you know, have been through, through that. So <clears throat> there's just so much, I'm gaining so much awareness of like, what is possible with this. I, I get that the way we still diagnose can be a bit disempowering because the traditional model is saying that, you know, well, you're genes are creating this anxiety or, you know, you're stuck with this. And so here is a medication to manage it for the rest of your life. It isn't an empowering story for healing or change. And people aren't taught really what is at the root of creating their mental issues. And so I just think that we really do a disservice to folks in that way when they're just kind of like, well, this is what I have to choose from. It's just, this is what it is. And, you know, medications can absolutely be helpful for folks and there's a lot of side effects and it can, you know, just create a lot of other issues. So to me, I'm kind of like, well, what else is possible? I was just always naturally in that question of what is going to create healing um, and ease for folks a lot faster. And does it have to be this thing where you go to therapy for your life for 40 years and just, you know, vent and dump, and then you maybe feel slightly better, but then you're kind of still in the same place and there's not a lot of change happening. Um, so I just get that, you know, between diagnosing, which I, I no longer do, um, it also have people stuck in their story 
neurologically actually doesn't create the change that we're hoping for. So I really sense that psychology would need to kind of back off from the labels a bit, really see things at what is the root cause? How are we working with that with healing and really be strategic in the therapy model in the sense of, you know, allowing folks to, to process, but not to the point where they're going to um, re-loop and strengthen neural pathways to continue to maintain the status quo, because really it is so much about where we're putting our attention that can create a different reality for us. Wow. There, there's a lot there. I want to dive in deeper with you because yeah, you mentioned going to the root cause um, and something that um, stood out to me in your work is that uh, you talk about how we should not refer to mental disorders as disorders. Uh, could you talk a little bit about that? What do you mean by that? Yeah, yeah. So I, I recently, or a while ago, I did a TikTok where I was like, anxiety is not a disorder, it's a symptom. And I was really just trying to grab people's attention to look at things differently. Because to me, when I say it's a disorder, it's like, okay, well, I have this disorder, you know, and at, at, at one point, I remember when my therapist said like, well, yes, you're diagnosed with clinical depression and anxiety. On one hand, it was uh, reassuring or calming that, okay, I'm not you know, going crazy. Like I am dealing with something at the same time. It was kind of like, so now what, <laughs> so now what do I do about it? Like, can I heal? Is that possible? Like, you know, and I I've seen time and time again, that folks then, you know, are after doing work, they are no longer diagnosable. So then is it really a disorder? Because inherently disorder is coming from this place of wrongness of judgment, mm. right? You shouldn't be this way. And I just get that when we get people in a box and in the labels, it really can stick them versus if we were to explain to people, well, you know, ultimately, yes, we're seeing these symptoms and they can be resolved. So by doing these certain different tools and these different modalities, you would no longer experience these symptoms, but you're not disempowered to this label for life of anxiety or clinical depression. Um, and you know, really the reason why we use diagnoses, a lot of the reasons is because of, uh, insurance and needing to like bill and code. And that's like just a whole other thing within the system. So I get where disorders is a helpful way to quickly explain a presentation, mm. but a picture is worth a thousand words. And ultimately, you know, 10 different people with anxiety will look very different in what they're experiencing. So I just get that it's like not always so helpful, um, mainly for it disempowering folks to maybe not wanting to change. Mm. It it reminds me of something that you you brought up when we were working together, and I see it often in your content. This idea of well, when you come to a conclusion, you're kind of stuck there. Exactly. Um, do you want to talk a little bit more about that? I think that's a, that's interesting. We stumbled upon that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because that is really, really huge. Um, and, and this whole idea of limiting question is um, a life changing. So anytime we do come to conclusion about something, that's all that can show up in our reality because our brains work in a very efficient way for us. You know, we're taking a lot of stimulus in at any given moment. And for us to, let's say, have this conversation, this conversation right now together, I have to be deleting, distorting, ignoring information to be present, right? And so our brains are always already working in that capacity. Now, 
based on our beliefs, conscious or unconscious, our brains just, they want to be copacetic and be, you know, like feeling good. So if there's any information that's contradictory to my currently held beliefs, my brain will literally ignore that information, delete it, distort it so that I don't go into some sort of cognitive dissonance about things. Basically, if I'm already like perceiving the information that's just reconfirming what I already know, then I'm not really actually taking in information objectively. And so anytime I come to conclusion about something like I have anxiety, then I actually have to show up that way to prove myself right. Because we as humans are really taught to function from judgment really dynamically in ways that I'm just getting more and more each day. And so it's like, we just want to be right. We don't want to be wrong. We want to be right. So if I come to conclusion about something, I might even self-sabotage to just prove again, prove myself right that yes, this is, this is what I have. And so this idea of living in question is really to facilitate us getting out of conclusion, being able to create a different reality that's possible. Because if I say, well, it's like I have anxiety. Okay, so I'm right. There I am. Or I could live from the premise of, well, what else is possible? Mm. What could I create with these symptoms? What else could I choose? Now my brain is seeking for other possibilities because I've allowed it to look outside what I've already decided. Mm. Is, is this related to quantum linguistic, the mod- uh, one of the modalities that you use in your work? Yeah, yeah. So Quantum linguistics is where I first learned about it was with um, neuro-linguistic programming. And the idea here is really to get you out of the jail cell that we put ourselves in the mind, the energetic jail cell, right? And so when we're coming to conclusions, when we're focusing on judgment, we really just stick ourselves with what else is possible. Mm -hmm. So quantum linguistics is basically a couple different things. Like neuro-linguistic programming uses kind of very specific questions to kind of like scramble the mind. Access consciousness uses clearing statements and also other open-ended questions to clear energy or just to facilitate you seeing things differently, right? It's kind of like when someone says something and you just have a deep knowing of like, oh, wow, that just totally shifted my point of view or that just changed things. That's a way in using linguistics to move the energy. Mm. What's I, you know, I was wondering, and I, I, I tried to look this up before our discussion. What is the history of, of quantum linguistics, actually? Let's hone in on that for a second. Gosh, you know, I the, the history of like where it all started, I mean, for me, it was more neuro-linguistic programming, um, because actually the founder of Access Consciousness did train in some neuro-linguistic programming back, back later in his past. So a lot of things have stemmed from that, which is really quite amazing. Um, and so basically the ideas, I mean, they stole, I stole it from quantum physics, right? This idea of like, when we put our conscious attention to a molecule, it shifts. So Mm. it's the same thing with using quantum linguistics is really we're energetically addressing what's going on and being able to move things at the unconscious level. And I, I sense this is where psychology is really missing that piece because it's like a lot about like figure out your limiting beliefs. What's the story? What do you know? It's all about cognition. What are you aware of? But yet, you know, as you know, I'm sure as well as like, we stick ourselves with a lot of unconscious things that we kind of don't get why we do them. And yet it's like, we can see it, but we can't get out of it. And that's usually then some sort of unconscious energy that's being held um, that really like quantum linguistics can, can address. So 
Um, if folks are, you know, I couldn't off the top of my head, you know, kind of tell you the history of it, but if folks want to know more, I would say like look more into neurolinguistic programming and the history of that, um, because ultimately that's where it comes from. Okay, we'll, we'll, put, a, we'll put a link for that for sure. Um, I was quite curious about this specifically uh, because um, what we, we have, so again, in spiritual circles, we have a lot of talk about quantum physics and I'm always a little bit wary of that because I know even quantum physicists, you know, find that a very complex, you know, you know, area to investigate and there's so many unknowns. And um, I, I know that one of the criticisms is that, well, what you have at the micro level, so at the quantum level, it doesn't necessarily map one-on-one to the macro, which to yeah. me seems to, to be an underlying assumption um, of some of these modalities. What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, wow. I just got a lot of information when you're talking because it's kind of like this whole idea of, of following science, right, too. And it's like, I get that like quantum physics, it's like our brains can't even kind of wrap our heads around what it is to really understand it or really get it. And, you know, we've really used science as mm, giving us these anchoring or reference points to understand our reality around us. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, some things are just not understandable for us, or we're just not at that place. Mm -hmm. And so I get that it's even partly a, excuse me, a trauma response in that we are always wanting to kind of control our environment. Mm. We want reference points to understand this is why things are the way they are, right? Because it's like, it helps us to feel more grounded or like we can predict our reality. But the thing is, our reality is completely unpredictable, Mm. but it's really unsettling to function from that place. I mean, we function, you know, like I'm in the process of buying a house, you know, and it's kind of like functioning from the premise that like, yes, I'm going to be there for a while and everything's great. Well, there could be a natural disaster there tomorrow and that could not be my reality anymore. Right. But I'm not functioning from that because it's just, it's really unsettling for us. So I kind of get that like science has come from this place where we're just trying to like, you know, grab on to why things are the way they are, because we feel too uncomfortable to just flow with what is and what we're aware of, which I get is really abstract, but that's like, it's kind of in the forming process for me right now. Yeah. Thank you for, for sharing that. Cause it's, it's interesting thinking of that as a trauma response uh, to, to, to one certainty. It's, it's definitely a, uh, a take on um, looking to the scientific lens for certainty that I haven't heard yeah. before. I was, I was trying to, to, to find my words there. And, you know, this is, this is something that I think intuitively, like I, I, I understood on some level when I started to work with you because I thought, well, I don't know what the scientific grounding is for these things, but, you know, I'm going to jump in because, you know, jumping into the unknown, you know, at, at, at the end of the day, it's is scientific in and of itself, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, whatever you did in those sessions, it worked. And <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of people operate from that point of, well, I'm not going to wait for science to catch up. I want to live my life. I want to be helped. And, you know, I think, I think that's, that's, that's a perfectly, you know, valid point of view, as you would say. Um, uh, I am also curious in the how and the mechanisms behind it, which is why I'm, I, I, and I expect our listeners are too, uh, which is why I'm asking all these questions. So um, 
let's shift gears a little bit because you mentioned access consciousness a bunch of times already, but we haven't yeah. talked about it yet. What's the deal with access consciousness? Well, <laughs> what is the deal with access consciousness? So the deal, the deal is, um, and I get we'll wrap this or we'll put all these pieces together with the trauma and the science. And um, so access consciousness is a huge body of work, if you will, that incorporates different um, energetic body processes, um, along with quantum linguistics and just some really pragmatic tools to create a life with more ease. Um, and ultimately, the founder um, used to actually channel information. So similar to Abraham Hicks, where um, Esther Hicks channels this non-embodied collective known as Abraham, Gary Douglas um, channeled information from Rasputin. And the, the first thing that he channeled was this energetic body process called the bars. And the bars is basically where you lie down and have someone lightly touch 32 points on your head that create electromagnetic bars to release thoughts, emotions, all sorts of stuckness in the unconscious world from this lifetime and multiple lifetimes. And all I know is that after I tried it, I had a completely different perspective of reality. It was like, I tell folks, if you've seen the movie Twilight and when Bella turns into a vampire and like all her senses are super heightened and whatnot, I just had so much clarity after that, that I was like, wait a second, th th what is this? This has got to be something. And so literally from that alone, not even knowing much about it, not go going into it, going into it with just kind of willing to receive whatever it is. Um, I had just a really transformative experience. And so that's where I started to get to the place of, wow, okay. I don't, I don't even care what the science is behind this because I just know this has changed something so deeply within me that I need to find out more about this. And so Anyways, that started a whole thing of me just learning all these different classes and whatnot. And mm -hmm. it's really just, you know, now the way I facilitate is quite different after I've done a lot of training in that, um, in just using a lot of questions in service of, again, quantum linguistics, getting people, you know, to see their reality totally different, to be able to shift much faster, because when you are following the energy of things, you're able to create changes at lightning speed versus trying to like muck through the waters. So really it is about kind of putting words to the language, like as a facilitator that you're perceiving mm. um, and able to kind of bring awareness for the client, because the whole idea of access consciousness is for folks to gain more access to themselves versus all the you know people pleasing and all the stuff they do. So just bringing them back to themselves and what they know. Mm. You mentioned following the energy. Can you give us an example of that? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if you go from the basic premise that what is light for you and expansive is true for you, mm. it's heavy and contracted is a lie. Meaning that once I start to follow what's light, that is what's going to create greater for my reality. Not necessarily easier, but greater in the sense of what does my inner being know that's going to create greater for me is for me to go through certain experiences, have certain awarenesses, you know, you know, once we actually do things or have the actual experience, there is a deeper understanding, knowing that if I were to just read it from a book or from a parent saying, don't do that, that's not a good idea. You know, that, that doesn't give us the same knowledge, the embodiment of knowledge that we require. And so 
to me, the way I use following the energy now is just when I'm making decisions is purely on energetics. What am I receiving? So I'll ask questions in order to facilitate my knowing of the energy. So will this create greater for me to choose this? Will this make my life more expansive? What else could I choose? What else is possible here? How does it get better than that? I'm trying to bring my awareness to what I am perceiving. And if I get a sense that like choosing something will pop or it's like expansive, or it almost feels like I'm going to jump off a cliff choosing this, right? Something light might not always feel happy. It might be scarce sighting. Um, I'm going to go for that right? But versus something that's like heavy contracted, it's like, oh, uh, that doesn't sound good for me. Then that's where I can follow that intuitive knowing. knowing. And that's really what I do uh, facilitate now folks on is getting uh, more clear with trusting that. And you know, that's so interesting because that to me sounds like the polar opposite of what we're conditioned to do in society. We have hustle culture. We have, you know, like push, push kind of, you know, we get rewarded going with with the hard option which with which what sounds like you're saying you know it's the heavy option now if it feels light like you said it's not necessarily the easier path but it's the greater path um so i feel maybe our listeners might have some skepticism around this at this point so janine can yeah. you can i ask you maybe to give us an example of how this worked for you so far and you know following the lightness you know versus the heaviness yeah. um, Wow. Yeah. So, so many things. Okay. Um, yes. And, and we really are taught to function dynamically from judgment, right? We're taught to Pharaoh what's right, what's wrong, what's good or bad. I mean, even, you know, science and whatnot. And it's just like, that can just really stick up because again, that is conclusions, right? And so then this is where our subjective mind comes in. And so we have to prove ourselves, right? So following the energy means I have to totally get out of conclusion and be objective by asking questions. And recently, I um, my most recent example is actually I was I'm in the process of, of buying home, as I mentioned. And uh, you know what's going on currently is the conclusion of or we just got out of it, but was Mercury retrograde, right? And so there's all these conclusions around that about well, don't you know don't make any major decisions. And there's a lot of communication breakdowns and, you know, um, travel issues and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, great. I want to buy a house and I'm going to travel out of the country all during Mercury retrograde. Yeah. (laughs) So I was like, you know what? I'm like, I'm going to live my freaking life. I'm, I, what would it, this is what I asked myself, what would it take to outcreate what everyone's decided about Mercury retrograde and outcreate this planetary energy, right? Because I, I was just so focused on what else is possible. And so I literally wrote a little note in my phone that I I don't even remember when I wrote it, but I I said something to the effect of playing with the energy affords me the ability to get a house under list within a few days. Mm. And it was funny because I had just totally forgotten about it. And then, you know, here we are house shopping and boom, boom, boom. It's a much longer story, but the way things worked out with such ease under list on, on task to close in a week. I mean, just, it all happened so quickly and the the complete opposite of what everyone's saying about Mercury retrograde and also traveled out of the country with no problems. Cause the same thing. I was like, what would it take to travel with total ease? Right. I'm not saying this has to happen. I'm not, I'm, I'm just more coming from the curiosity of it. And that means that I'm open and willing to, however, it shows up the how, right? Cause this actually wasn't my, the, the house that we're landing on wasn't my first house. It was the third actually. 
Um, so, but it's like, it all happened so quickly and with ease because I was willing to pivot, 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 pivot with the energy I was aware of. However, if I had come to conclusions of like, well, this is the right thing to do. And this is what I should do. And yada, yada, yada. Then I block my awareness of the energy because I've already decided. And so that is the key piece is we just really want to be mindful when we go to conclusion, because we can't take in information that contradicts it. Mm. It's limiting your awareness. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that that's awesome. You managed to 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 use following the energy, you know, for in your house hunting process. Like, you know, it's uh, usually not the most easeful process, you could say. So no, there's so <laughs> many pieces to it, right? And and even from people can use following energy to pinging prices. I mean, like it was the same thing with offering. I was not going into like, well, this is the right price to offer. This is the wrong price to offer. I was just pinging them. Okay, like this price uh, kind of thudded, this price is starting to pop more, this is getting lighter. And like at some point kind of on the spectrum, it's like, ooh, that one's like, boom, that one's like, it's sharp, it's hard to describe. It's just when I get out of my preconceived judgments or right or wrongness conclusions about it, just this one energetically was the loudest. So it's like, okay, so I go with that, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's really functioning from this yes, no universe versus right or wrong. Mm. Would you say it's coming out of your head and into your body? Is yes, it's absolutely because it's the the sensing perceiving piece is embodied. Because mm. when we get too much in our head, then we're usually functioning from ego and judgment and right and wrong, mm. and we're kind of up here. Versus that knowing tends to be like neck down. Mm. You know, it's it's really interesting. It it reminds me because you know working, you know being aware of my body and working with emotions and kind of going from here to here was a big part of what we worked on together. Yeah. Well, so, you know, I I'm I'm still learning um, to use that, and I remember uh, you saying, Christina, go to go do uh, do the bars. So go do have have an access consciousness session. You know, go do that. And, you know, eventually I found someone and I had gone. And I think it's, 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 an, it's a good example of how you can interpret things differently. So you have the exact, I, I could see very different people looking at this very differently because I, I found a facilitator. So we had our sessions, you know, they, you can describe the process better than I can probably, but it's basically just light touch on the head. It's, it's nothing right. too involved. I was just relaxed, lying down. Um, and I remember because I'm so much in my head, I started twitching and mm. I was like, am I twitching because this is doing something or am I twitching because I'm expecting this to do something? <laughs> yeah, chicken or the egg thing, right? Chicken yeah. or the egg thing, yes. And I think, you know, it's, it's interesting, right? It's, it's difficult to trace causality because on the one hand, I could say it was lovely. So I didn't have an experience as, as strong as yours, that was the only time I had it. Um, it was relaxing. It was nice. I had the body twitches. The facilitator said she, um, as I understand, sometimes you can feel like cold or hot, like sensations mm -hmm. in your palms. Like she did say she felt that. Um, and that was that. Um, now, a lot of things happened after that in terms of big changes. Mm -hmm. And here, here's the interesting thing because you have the correlation and causation. So, you know, does this actually cause the changes or was it the fact that I was already on this 
you know, creating the changes in my life, which led to me doing both this access consciousness session and the subsequent changes, such as, you know, changing my career path, essentially, uh, was one of the big, the big changes. Um, And I think that's why it's so hard to to have a discussion, I think, at the end of the day about these processes. There's nothing much to hold on to. Uh, yeah. Oh, exactly. And I, you know, I love you sharing that experience because it, it, sometimes it isn't immediate based on what people say, you know, the, the founder says like, worst case scenario, you just feel like you had a great massage after the bars, best case scenario, it changes your life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they have done some minimal light research on it, showing like brain scan changes and thermal thermology in the brain, I guess, or the body, excuse me. It's like thermal thinking that I'm like, my words have totally escaped me, but basically seeing temperature changes in the yeah. body energetically. Um, and for me, I just, I guess after all of my experience, I've gotten to the place where I'm wanting to look inward and trust what I am perceiving. Mm. What is this, you know, versus what is the science telling me and what did someone else experience and whatever? And I'm like, no, what did I experience? Right. And it's, so it's like, it, it could, I could spend some time looking at like, well, was it this, was it that? And if I was just pragmatic about it, it could just be like, well, for what value do I try to figure it out? Mm. What is it creating for me to try to understand what is and what isn't? Or would I just be willing to let go of the reference points and flow? I'm still working on this. I mean, because it's the process, <laughs> but like, right. Be willing to let go of the reference points and just flow with what is creating greater for me? Because ultimately, if you just ask those questions, like, well, what, for what purpose do I try to figure this out? Then you can look at, well, what is it creating in your life to do that with anyone that's coming to these questions right now, I'd imagine. Mm. And the answer will always be different. Um, exactly. Mm. I, I feel for me, figuring out the how is a big part of my life. So yeah. uh, I will I will definitely... Uh, continue to focus um, on that I believe as to the value it's creating well there's <laughs> there's a lot of answers to that but for for the purposes of this um, um, of this episode um, I'm just thinking of you know it just it just occurred to me well you say I'm working on trusting myself and what I see well that's the beginning of any scientific inquiry and observation you know, you make the observations, you develop hypotheses, you test them, you know, you see what results you get. And then um, I think that's where we get um, a little bit uh, into the debate territory. And I was mm-hmm. talking about this with someone the other day, because the interpretations of the same set of data might differ wildly sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm just I wanted to, um, I'm pinged about like what you said, like how you're like, I, it's almost like, I got the sense kind of what you were saying is like, well, my, almost my purpose or my sense of, you know, connecting myself, grounding myself in this experience is focusing on the how. And it's like, so what's right about that, right? Mm -hmm. What has focusing on the how created greater for you? How has that left you from this thing to this thing to now the next thing, right? It's that like constant drive for more and seeking and, you know, wanting to get a grasp of things. And so when I offer any of these points of view, the most helpful thing is to always filter it through your own awareness of like, again, this idea of what's light for you is true for you and what's heavy is a lie. And if, 
it was interesting because even your body just relaxed in the sense of when I said, well, what's right about focusing on the how, mm. right? It's just so dynamic how we go into like judgment and again, wanting to get it right. And it's just like, well, what does your inner being know that that will create for you, create a totally different reality, right? Mm. And because it's so amazing to watch your trajectory from being like, you know, like you had said, kind of hiding with your spiritual beliefs, energetic beliefs to now, or you're taking the parapsychology or what, what are you studying right now? Oh, I, that was, that was a course that I took at the 2021. It was an introduction okay. to parapsychology course. Yeah. You remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like, and I remember that's something you would have never shared before in the past. <laughs> so it's just kind of like, what is the, how created for you? And I, I sense that's, you know, what I want kind of the listeners to get to is like, whatever, wherever you're focusing your attention, what is that creating for you? And is that the direction you want to be going or not? And if you didn't make it wrong, what would you choose? Well, I think our listeners should like should pay close attention because this is a life coaching session i just i <laughs> yeah, just volunteered for one <laughs> exactly so, so you, you can see a little bit of janine's style but i have to say your questions are um are incredible and this is why i wanted to really ask you about quantum linguistics as well because you know we have this side of you know, well, you can debate about the, the quantum physics and the interpretation. We're coming back to the interpretation of how that might or might not apply and whatnot. At the end of the day, we're circling back to, well, this modality helped. You know, so what what went on there? Um, what, uh, what do you mean within? Oh, oh I, I, I just mean in the sense of, you know, how, what's, what's the how behind, you know, like it, mm-hmm. you make the observation that this worked you know whatever you know even yeah. now you're guiding me through the questions you know it's it's something that does unlock something inside of me as to the how behind it you know we can have yes. a lot of interpretation and discussions around that yeah absolutely and something that's um facilitated me when i'm looking at the how is that when we're asking how we're generally trying to get it right mm don't want to get it wrong. We just want to get it right. And the way someone told it to me at once was like, okay, so when you were a kid and you were learning how to stand and walk, did you ask how, or did you just do it? Mm. And it's like as kids, because kids naturally function from the energy of question. And so they, it's just like, they just choose it. There Mm. is no, I can't stand. There is no, I can't walk. It just I just do it. I just choose it. Like, let me see other people are doing it. So let me try it. Oh, I fall down and I try it again. It's just like, choose, 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 right? There's no judgment about it yet here as adults, this is where we slow ourselves down because it's kind of like, well, show me how to get it right. I don't want to mess it up. And the antidote to this is really being willing to be wrong. And this has been just a huge facilitation for me just in this entrepreneurial journey in putting myself out there and things like that and learning new things and exposing myself is willing to get it wrong, willing to mess up, willing to say the wrong thing, willing to create terrible content, willing, 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 because that will facilitate me gaining that embodiment of more information. Because again, if we go back to this idea of like doing gives you the information at a different level. Well, if I'm willing to choose and willing to be wrong, then I can create so much greater because it's the resistance slows us, slows us down in wanting to be right. And so I just encourage folks when they're looking at the how, what if you were able to start to return back to what you know, which I know sounds really abstract, but what I'm trying to get is for people to start to return inward, to trust themselves 
and following the intuitive pings of kind of what to choose next. Yeah, on this idea of intuition, um, we are so used to operating um, from our head, let's say. We, we kind of see ourselves as being limited to that. Mm -hmm. um, and to me, this journey of well, coming back to the body, also trying to access more of my intuition, you know, feeling that there's more dimensions of knowledge there. And I think, you know, in, in, in the Western world, well, you know, uh, as a whole, we have this idea of knowledge being this type of very cognitive linear type of knowledge but we we have cultures across the world that you know distinguish between different types of knowledge some of it being the more embodied type right mm -hmm. um and to me this in my experience with it has been um quite spiritual in fact because it does make me wonder well there's this there's all these layers of me that i become more aware of but i probably still don't have full awareness of you know so it comes back to the fundamental questions who are we you know who are we really what are we doing here and all that so i'd love to go into into a little bit of that um with you because you know you are operating at this intersection of science and spirituality and we talk quite a bit about the the science but what about the spirituality how how is that looking um how is that manifesting in your life hmm yeah, well, I, it kind of seems like this natural progression, especially after people have been through kind of paying off what you were saying earlier too, like when folks have been through trauma, then they're like naturally more energetically sensitive. And then when the traditional modalities aren't working, it's kind of like, what else is possible? And so we've seen this kind of huge influx now lately of like spirituality being the thing, right? The thing to, the thing to go to. And I was starting to get that too, as I started to do all these different trainings, I was almost wanting to, again, label myself. Well, how do I identify? And I, it's like, well, I'm, I'm not the traditional psychologist. So what am I? Well, I guess I'm spiritual. Like, what is this? And I, I even caution folks with using kind of like those labels because you know, there are, there are a lot of folks that function in the spiritual community of, again, wanting to be right. I'm right for being spiritual. I'm right for being alternative. I'm right because I'm 5D and you're 3D and what all these like terms that we use, right? And so what I'm looking at is like, God, would I be willing to like even let go of that label and just be willing to be me? Because ultimately, isn't that the like highest spiritual practice to just be all of you? like the complete embodiment of you, everything you've decided is wrong, bad, you know, that you don't want to show, would you be willing to be that? Because would that not create the greatest? So, you know, I, I've kind of gone through this at first. I was like, yes, I'm spiritual. And then now I've kind of backed off a little bit from describing myself that way. I mean, still use it as a way for like kind of people to kind of get a quick, again, using those labels as a quick understanding of who I be. Um, yet it's more for me, I guess now it's like, that's why I use the word like consciousness and energy. Cause it's, um, I get a sense of like a little bit more neutrality with it. Mm -hmm. Has that been your experience? Like the kind of judgment around spirituality? Yeah, I think, you know, as, as you were talking, I was thinking about the, the labels and how they do serve a function, at least in my life, you know, it's served initially it's helpful because you belong somewhere. Yeah. You know, and, and a, a big challenge on my journey has been that feeling of not quite belonging in any of the boxes, which instantly makes you question the boxes. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and 
and I hear you and I agree that it is limiting to just put yourself in that one box because you, you stop seeing outside of it and you, you stop thinking you know more you, you know more than everyone else or you know what there is to know and that's well especially as someone you know who loves science that's not a very scientific attitude right like you need yeah, to yeah. curiosity and to go into the unknown and that's something that I admire about you you know going um you know like crossing these boundaries and going into these modalities that you say well you know there there is like you know like with access consciousness they've done some 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 scientific uh, research on it and of course you could argue well it's better if a third party you know who's neutral would do it you know we can go we yeah. can go into the woods for sure um, yeah. with that as well. But at the end of the day, you have to be willing to step into the unknown to even start to look at it through whatever lens, mm -hmm. scientific mm -hmm. or otherwise, you know, mm -hmm. because that's that's the other thing we get hung up upon. And that's another label I had to learn to kind of not overly identify with this whole idea of scientific, rational, analytic thinker, you know, because at the end of the day, something that I've noticed um, Sometimes, you know, there can be an over-reliance on a scientific lens as the lens sure. in the world. And then you stop questioning that lens in itself. Well, how did we come to create that lens? What assumptions, you know, are at the foundation of, uh, of a scientific lens? Like what's going on there? You know, it, it's it ironically identifying as scientific can stop you from being scientific. Yes, <laughs> yes. yeah, I was... Oh man, I was getting so much like as you were talking, because I, you know, for me, it's like consciousness, and I got this Maxis consciousness. Consciousness includes everything and judges nothing, which mm -hmm. means it includes science. It also doesn't include science, it includes it all. Um, and so that's where I get kind of what you're saying when we go from these like almost extremes here, how like it can really stick us if we kind of just pendulum swing. Yet if we were willing to incorporate it all, which makes it hard for our brains to to kind of grasp onto, right? Because this whole idea, like you said, of wanting to be in these, you know, boxes, I get that as humans, we just want to belong. So there is that huge piece, kind of what you're saying, it don't fit anywhere. Um, and, and I get that about you, you're so unique in the way you see things. And that's why I've just really, I keep falling back on access consciousness, because even, you know, from what they say, it's like, don't believe what we say, we're giving you tools to get more access to you. And it's been, a, you know, a really great place for people to come together where it's like all these misfits that don't fit anywhere, then can come here and don't fit in a box and access either. It's just like, how are they using it to contribute to their lives? Um, and so, but I just get that it's just challenging for our brains to, again, let go of those reference points of how we identify ourselves. Mm. I want to, I want to actually, um, build a little bit upon this um because if we look at this idea of labels there's as you as you already mentioned there's quite a bit of that going on so you know we picked on we picked on the yeah, we picked scientific on. <laughs> or scientifically minded community let's go to the spiritual side uh, of course we're using labels you know we're, we don't we don't put any hard boundaries but just just for the purposes of the conversation so we have quite a bit of labeling in what you would call it the spiritual mystical community you know whatever label you want to to put on it um and i noticed one of the very popular uh things in the past couple of years has been this whole system of human design mm -hmm. um and i really wanted us to go into this uh because you know i i want to take advantage of you and your expertise and your time to dive into this um so for our listeners 
human design is a system that combines so this is this is taken off wikipedia uh it combined because i thought that's the first place someone would go to to figure Absolutely. out what it is, you know so you know we don't over rely on wikipedia but you know uh so uh, human design combines astrology the I Ching, kabbalah and vedic philosophy centering around the division of personalities into five energy types alleged to indicate how someone is supposed to exchange energy with the world uh, manifestors generators manifesting generators projectors and reflectors. It was originated by Alan Robert Krakover, who published a book called The Human Design System under the pseudonym Raoul Ruhu in 1992. So he developed the human design system following a mystical experience in 1987. And it seems with a lot of these modalities, we come back to this idea of them being channeled in, in some way, shape or form, which I think is interesting um, yeah. in itself. Um, now, where um what do i want to ask you about this so i am a little bit as i said uneasy with um you know with something trying to present itself as a science when it's not a science so i don't consider the system to be a science i don't right. have an issue with that uh, i don't have an issue with something not being a science per se it's just when it tries to present itself as a science i think it can get a little bit in the danger territory because it gets that scientific legitimacy and there's a lot of confusion you know that around that um so in it, as far as i know this belief system because that's what it is a belief system it hasn't been investigated scientifically so far now i i have heard you mention it and i don't know if you use it with your clients or not um i've i've i remember seeing it in your conference so you know I, I'm open to learning more, but I try to keep a healthy skepticism, especially because of, of uh, this attempt to, of some people to present it as a science. So, you know, what is your take on it, you know, and similar things such as astrology, since you were mentioning Mercury retrograde. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I'll just, if folks can hear, my dog is a, in a deep sleep chasing bunny rabbits and like uh -oh. making little whoops underneath, so in case you're hearing that, because he's oh, right yeah. next to me. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, I think similar to you in the sense of like, I just, I don't hold on too tightly to it, to human design. Like I'm, I'm aware of my type and kind of the general idea I've had the readings. I, I do um, a show regularly with someone who is trained in it on Instagram live. And so we talk about like kind of the intersection of human design, psychology and consciousness and whatnot, because I'm just, I'm always wanting to learn. Mm -hmm. um, but same, I don't like, I don't want to hold on too tightly to them because it's similar to, you know, now I'm not trained in human design, just to kind of clarify that for folks, but for some things, like it can be very easy for there to be the label, right? Like one of them being projector. And usually those folks, you know, they say like, they're meant to only work a couple hours a day and not be compared to the generator who is like the, that's what I am, is the worker bee and meant to like work a lot, et cetera, et cetera. And I get where people can, again, go into the limitation of, well, this is what it says. This is the label. This is says who I am to be. So I show up that way, right? Whatever I've decided, show it will be true. Our beliefs create our reality that way. So I just, you know, I, I do find it helpful in the sense of, wow, when something resonates with me, like when it has a descriptor about generator and how I perceive energy. And when I filter through my own awareness of like, Ooh, yes. Okay. That makes sense. That's light for me. That feels that I get the sense that that is really true for me versus when I read something else, it's like, mm, that doesn't really resonate, even though this is what it says to be true. Um, 
so it is. So I was kind of like, I've, I've gone through my whole life very much focused on what other people tell me is true about me. Mm-hmm. And so it's been this huge flip 180 for me to start to like, just listen to what I know, what I'm aware of. Um, so it's kind of like with any of these things or these personality tests, it's like, use it for your own awareness. And again, filter it through that because if it doesn't resonate, then it's not true for you. It's kind of where I'm landing with it. I hear you. And, and I appreciate you sharing that. Um, because you know, the way I see it, so I, I, this has been also part of my journey, you know, like coming back to what I know about me and not listening to what other people, you know, think they might know about me, you know, and my impression of, I don't want to pick on human design, you know, I thought it was interesting because it claims to, 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 to say something about our psychology, you know, and I, I, I really wanted to get your take on that. Um, I think um, people can get a little bit too hung up on the label. So I think the way that you say, well, use it, you know, see what resonates, see what doesn't. That's already at the end of the journey. Well, not the end, there is no end to the journey, but you know, it's further along where, where you already kind of trust yourself. Uh, sometimes I see, I have the impression of people trying to mold themselves to the certain boxes. And I, my fear is that, you know, if you say, mm-hmm. well, this is a science, you know, which it's not, then it, it, it has this authority that might put people back in boxes. It's just, it's, it's just something that came up because you're also talking about trauma responses. So it's just interesting how all these things intersect. A hundred percent. And it's really just kind of like, I was just getting, it's, it's like a tool, right? It's a tool you can use to facilitate better understanding yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I get that when people see it as like, it's a tool and it's not the be all end all, like none of these modalities are. And I think that's why we're just constantly seeking because we're just wanting to kind of put the whole picture together. But I get the sense there'll always be some sort of missing puzzle piece because as you continue to get more information, you know, have increased consciousness, then your awareness expands. And so then you have more awareness and then more missing pieces are in. So it's kind of like, we're just on this continual cycle. Um, and so that's where it's like, I a hundred percent agree where it's just like, you know, what would it take for people to use it as a modality that, you know, facilitated maybe increased understanding of themselves mm. and not be like, just totally married to this label. This is who I am. I can't change. I'm in change, in, unchangeable. Yeah. And I, you know, it also brings to mind as we were talking about it, to me, it's very similar to tarot. So if you do a tarot yeah. poll, it's just something, I mean, this, this is my point of view, but you know, it's, it's something you respond to and it oh, allows yeah. you to have a certain awareness or another, um, as long as you don't over rely on it and, you know, let it dictate your day, week, <laughs> month, or, you know, whatever you do the poll for. And it occurred to me, you know, when, when, when you talk about this idea of using it as a guide, you know, we talk about these lenses of seeing the world right and this is just part of one one type of lens of seeing the world i'm not sure what what label to put on it you could say spiritual but you know that's debatable um but even with the scientific lens like that's that need for black and white thinking for boxes i notice it there as well not not in researchers because you know they're 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 you know at least not i don't see it because they're trained not to think in that way right but I, I, 
in doing science communication, you know, sometimes I have to be very careful because if I get asked, well, is there any proof of telepathy? Uh, well, you know, first of all, I'm like, well, you know, we don't use the term proof. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's one thing, you know, but yeah. it's, it's, it's that idea of, well, there's evidence supporting that. And there's a lot of nuance there and there's a lot of interpretations you can make um, because, you know, scientists don't always agree on interpretations, you know, this, the mm -hmm. same, I guess, with these modalities as well, you can't always agree on one interpretation. And we're coming back to that idea of trying to hold on to something that's solid and predictable and yet failing to find it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it kind of brings us back to psychology to me mm -hmm. because it's like, you know, when we've been through trauma, so that could be, you know, let's say like life-threatening events or things like that. We also now consider little T trauma, which is non-life-threatening, but just still activates the nervous system chronically in some sort of way. But ultimately trauma is the biggest breach in a boundary, meaning like it's the rug pulled out from underneath you. It was very unexpected. And so when we have these unexpected events in order to cope we try to predict our reality. We try to find answers. We try to come to conclusions. And, you know, if folks have not healed enough from that and in expanded their consciousness, and I just mean in the sense of like, you become naturally more conscious as you do this healing work, then you're able to hold multiple realities at one time, right? You get away from the black and white thinking from the all or nothing thinking, or you're able to be more objective because you start to detach from your need for a certain outcome for your need to be right. And so I just get that like, our like greatest researchers and scientists are very spiritually evolved because they're able to detach from whatever they've decided the outcome should be right they're not influencing it with their consciousness or their interpretation of the results um which just takes a really high level of skill and to me like ultimate healing from trauma yeah like you know it, it pinged me as as um as you were mentioning you know because it's everything that we talk about you know it's kind of falling into place i feel it's kind of circling around this and let me know if you agree i uh, something that I like to think about is we never quite see reality as it is. That's just something we know. We have very limited perception. So it's always an approximation of reality that allows us to live our lives and do the things that, you know, we, we want to do and survive and ideally thrive while we're doing that. Yeah. Um, and I think of these, you know, as mental models that can always shift, right? I have this idea about how this works. It worked for me so far. And then you give the example of trauma, like pulling the rug under you, you know, and it's like, well, what just happened? You know, we need to reevaluate almost sounds like. Um, so I guess what I'm getting at is whatever lens you use, um, they're dynamic and they use mental models and they're an approximation of whatever it is that's out there. If there's even something objective out there, which is completely, <laughs> you know, we need two more hours for that probably. Yeah, for sure. So what do you think of this, Janine? What, what, what comes up for you? Oh, man, I feel <laughs> like my head exploded. You know what I mean? It's like the more you dive into it again, it's like I kind of get just even as folks are listening to our, our process of trying to like untangle all this stuff, it starts to become more abstract. There's more space and it's almost more challenging for me to start to like 
solidify again and put reference points in to like give points of where people to anchor into, right? Because it's like, we just start to become more space because it's like, well, what else is possible here? And that I get, and so I'm just kind of observing our process. That's what came up for me. It's like, almost like I have less to say about it because it's more the energy because you can even perceive it in the conversation. Now there is more space than when we started because we've been more in the question and we've been more observing this process. And so then it's really, I get that like when we're here as humans, like we're trying to put language to relate, to relate to each other, right? Again, these reference points to relate and how I know myself to be. And so it's just this really uncomfortable place to be more space and to not hold on to these reference points. And I get that I like, didn't answer your question directly. It was just like literally what popped. <laughs> no, that, that, that is absolutely okay. And I'm loving that. And I, and I, and I really respect about that about you, the, the willingness to step into the space, into the unknown, into the, well, I don't know from here. Let's yeah. explore, let's ask questions, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and again, I think that's a very scientific attitude. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, now that we've made everything as abstract as it could be, yeah, yeah, yeah. more questions than we started with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, let's ground ourselves a little bit. Um, Janine, I would love for you to imagine that it's 50 years from now. Mm. Well, let's just go there. And how do you hope that in 50 years from now, we will be approaching mental well-being? Mm, yeah, um, for me um, and everything that I, I, I work from is the hopes of facilitating that we function from somatics and energetics. So really kind of seeing ourselves as these radio receivers, you know, our bodies are these radio receivers that are picking up energy all day long and perceiving a lot of different information. Um, and so functioning from that, because I just get, when we can get out of judgment and function from a neutral place with just the energy that's going on, teaching folks to be able to perceive, read it, communicate it, move it along. That's just going to, people are going to heal so much faster. And in somatics, it's really just incorporating the body again, also being able to move the energy that way with physical movement. Um, so that's quite a large departure from where it's at now. Mm, yeah, it's, I think that makes such, um, the, the whole idea of movement for me was revolutionary, you know, like sometimes it's the simplest things. Janine is yes. the reason I'm dancing every other, you know, almost ah! every day. <laughs> it's a wonderful wonderful tool um and just um keeping that uh perhaps keeping that vision in mind you know um if you could be remembered for just one thing what would you like that one thing to be yeah for me it would be that um, that I was facilitating folks back to their awareness because that's truly what gives me the most pleasure and drive for what I do is because it's been a huge journey for me because I was always seeking outside of myself for answers and information. And so learning to trust myself has been this huge, really amazing, beautiful journey. And so that's really my main focus and what I'm facilitating others. Beautiful. And what projects are you currently working on? Let us know what's going on in your world. 
Oh my gosh, what am I working on? Well, currently um, I have a couple of things going on. I'm, I'm working with some entrepreneurs, which is a, a new venture. So kind of an entrepreneurial mastermind. So I'm, it started and I'm building it out as we go along because kind of what I teach is follow the energy. And so really the folks that are in it are also kind of co-creating it, if you will, or like I get the information, the awareness of what they need to hear um, by creating the content in there. So that's been a new venture as I, you know, I, I do work with a lot of folks with, you know, that are wanting to focus on their mental wellness, but then also um, entrepreneurs who are wanting to incorporate the energetics into their business. So that's one thing I'm working on. And then also my um, membership, the courage to choose um, is more focused on the energetics of trauma. So kind of more the entry level point when people are like first coming to see me, you know, where, you know, they're in that journey of really not maybe totally understanding their emotions, or they maybe think they didn't have trauma yet. They're really having a lot of trauma responses and really seeing that from a holistic, again, spiritual for using these terms, energetic, conscious perspective um, to facilitate healing. So those are kind of my, my babies right now. Oh, wonderful. Well, we'll make sure to put links to that in, uh, in the episode notes. And just before we start wrapping up, is there anything Janine that I haven't asked you, but you wish you would um, share with our listeners? Mm, I guess if I could leave something for folks, it would be to start. Mm, gosh, I had like so many nuggets. And then I'm like, what's the main one? The main one really that I want folks to get is if you can change anything or be aware of something you're choosing, it's like how much judgment you do, because just, you know, we start to understand this, like, okay, yeah, right, wrong, good or bad. Like, don't judge people and yada, yada, and like, okay, I get it. But it's like, no, how much do you make yourself wrong dynamically every day? Cause I work, I also work with a lot of people with chronic illness. And, um, that is the one thing I see just over and over and over again at the root is like just this really insanely self-critical inner talk. And so it's like judgment, not only is it just, you know, not enjoyable, it doesn't feel good. It's insanely hard on your body because it creates a nervous system response every single time. And so I know this is kind of like dropping a bomb at the end, but like, I just, if people can like start to explore that for themselves, that anytime you're going into judgment, you're creating a stress response in the body, which puts it in a dis-ease state. Mm-hmm. If you want to heal from anything, start to look at that. That's, that's a good way to build, uh, to build curiosity about your work, Janine, just dropping the bomb <laughs> at the end. <laughs> Door down comment, right? <laughs> well, in line with that, uh, where can our listeners find you? Yeah. So I am at Crefts Couch everywhere, basically craftscouch.com. I'm on Instagram and TikTok mainly, um, but that's where you can find me usually doing some sort of reel and talking about all these topics. That's awesome. Well, we'll put that in the notes. And Janine, I want to thank you so much for sharing your time, your insights, your wisdom with us today. Um, it's been such a beautiful conversation. And uh, just before this, we were talking about, you know, how we we will follow the energy with this conversation. So I feel like we we have achieved that. And I think so too. I think so too. Thank you so much for having me on. It was so great to connect with you again and and just, you know, jam out on these topics. I sense we could just talk for hours about that. Oh, definitely. Oh, it was lovely. It was my pleasure. <laughs>